you're watching Stockwatch, welcome to it. I'm Zinati Guma. Let's wrap up the weekend markets. Joining us for Stockwatch this week, uh, Roy Mutooni from APSA Asset Management and Chantal Marks from FNB Wealth and Investments. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. I guess today really the big news is uh, the U.S. labor market. So we've had quite a few releases out before uh, the anticipated release of the non-farm payrolls for September this afternoon. So I think on Tuesday we had the uh, job openings dropping 10% to just over 10 million. And then yesterday we had weekly jobless claims increasing uh, more than expected. I want to start off with you, Chantal. It seems that the U.S. labor market is quite weak at the moment. So do you think that with the non-farm payrolls, we could kind of see the same trend? Well, I think everyone's hoping that we're going to see the same trend or at least everyone in markets or who has a, a home loan is hoping that we're seeing the same trend. Um, but I mean, this is, this is, these are only a couple of data points, right? And mm. the, the U.S. labor market is still exceptionally strong. Um, what this does point to is that we could possibly start seeing a softening soon in that labor market. Um, and what that means is that the Federal Reserve will have to also start considering the labor, labor market when they're making interest rate decisions because they have a dual mandate. Um, they need to keep employment at very high levels and they need to rein in inflation. Um, so what we're looking for this afternoon is further confirmation, I guess, that that labor market is, is at, at, a, at kind of a pivot point, uh, pivot being the, the big word yeah. in markets this week. Um, and that will in turn result in a pivot also being reached in terms of the interest rate increases that we're seeing at the moment, or at least the pace they are. Yeah. So we're talking about this pivot uh, that we could hopefully see in the labor markets with today's non-farm payrolls, uh, Roy. But even with that, I mean, just even leading up to this, even with all these releases, Fed officials have kept on saying that we will not be pivoting anytime soon until we start to see some significant differences in inflation and the labor market. So even if today's uh, non-farm payrolls do um, surprise to the downside and, and they are actually um, lower, do you think that the Fed could pivot as soon as the next meeting? No, not really, Zanati. I think the, the, the thing that we keep forgetting is that it's true they do have a dual mandate, but inflation is overbearing. It's, it's at very high levels. And one of the key underlying drivers of inflation right now that is very sticky is this whole issue of um, unit labor costs. And, 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 how you, and how you think about that is that it's effectively the productivity of wage increases. And we haven't seen labor productivity rising as aggressively as where wage increases are going because of inflation. So, so I think they're really committed to this target. Um, I think the market is holding out on, um, on this potential pivot because we've seen Jay Powell do it before. But what they've basically said as well is they're willing to take pain. Um, the level of employment is so high in the U.S. that they're willing to take up to, was it, 2 million jobs down before they start thinking. So I, I think it's faint, it's, it's faint hope. It's hanging on to little threads for the market. Um, and, and it just feels to me like they, they trotted out all of these Federal Reserve governors before this announcement in order to ensure the market understands that it, it will take a really big case for them to pivot in, in a big way. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe we see peaks in interest rates, 
but they hold them at quite high levels. Yeah. Um, we have seen the markets quite red going into that report today. Even the JSC that had bucked the overall trend mm -hmm. yesterday is now in the red. Are markets really just, because it seems that with, with everything that's happening, including what's happening in the UK, is the market just worried that the environment right now is just so ripe for a crisis, Chantal? So I think that what, what what we saw at the start of the week was, as as Roy mentioned, I mean, it was hoping, right? Yeah. The fact that, that we were paying attention to the jolts, job opening numbers, um, gives you an idea of what what market participants were reaching for. Um, I think that there's still a lot that needs to happen before we see that true pivot coming through. And the, the market's just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, we still have all these guys from the Fed coming out with statements. Uh, they're all going to sing from the same hymn book, right? They, that's not going to change. Um, we have a big event risk in this payroll number as well. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it seems more like a, like a pause at the moment. But the, this, it, it's uncertain where the direction is going to be next. We still have substantial momentum towards the downside. But then we also have peak fear in the market, which is yeah. usually a, a, a lead up to a turning point. And we have this kind of these hopeful bounces, which tell us that perhaps investors are starting to, to, to really considering getting back in and staying in. Mm, right, and we are seeing that fear filtering through to the rand today. Uh, at uh, right now, trading at eighteen rand against the U.S. dollar. Let's go into the questions, Roy. Um, is RMB a good buy with them going into insurance? Um, would that basically depend if you believe mm -hmm. in the insurance story and maybe just in general the short-term insurance sector? So, so basically, that whole unbundling process and restructuring has been a boon for investors. Investors have made a lot of money. Um, they've got good dividends. They've got good shares. Remember, they got discovery and they got momentum. So that's been good so far. So what you're left with is an asset that has a multinational presence and multiple prongs of growth. Now, at this point in time in SA, you worry a little bit about insurance just because, um, as always, I mean, the old cliche, insurance is a grudge purchase. When incomes are under pressure, that's the first one to go. Um, but, but outsurance has proven itself as, um, as a formidable competitor in, in the short-term insurance. They're going into life, they're in Australia, they're in a number of other places. So I, I think it's one to watch quite closely. Um, there, there is, on the one hand, the risk that you've seen all the good growth already. But on the other, I think it's a well-reputed um, management team. The fact that they don't have the holding company structure now there to hold them back must mean that they're willing to pay either higher dividends or pursue growth in other geographies. So I think well worth keeping an eye on. It doesn't look particularly expensive. So and and I guess it's a, it's it's we, we don't have short-term insurers on the JSE. So um, yeah, just it's 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 a new asset that I think we'll all appreciate following. There's still some time, right? Um, and yes. Yeah. Yes, they, there is sometimes it's quite illiquid though. Okay, so so I want to ask you, Chantal. At this point, I mean, um, do you have like a kind of a waiting, uh, a, a difference in waiting between the two? Uh, what does this mean for Sanlam? I mean, for Santam. So I think, so I think we're waiting for, uh, we're, we're kind of waiting for that entry point um, into <laughs> into yeah. insurance. I mean, it doesn't look particularly cheap now particularly when you're comparing it to the likes of a Santam, although liquidity issues does result in that share 
generally trading at depressed valuations. But I mean, it it really does look expensive relative to Santam. But it, I think from a growth perspective, it's probably the the superior asset to own at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm still on the sidelines in terms of both, um, and mm. I'll I'll see how the the what the strategy shift is going to look like for Afshirans once they're on their own. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one to watch. And I think it's, I'm quite excited for kind of the rebrand of the, of the, of the holding company, of the stock name. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I think they're going to do quite well there because there's familiarity in assurance and there's simply confusion in RMI slash RMB slash whatever. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, even that, I think from a retail investment perspective will be quite great. Yeah. Um just on that, uh, Chantal Roy mentions that um, the stock doesn't look um, particularly cheap. Um, I looked at that three-year chart and I actually saw that the, the RMI shares trading um, at where it was trading, I think, in mid-2020. It did reach a high at the beginning of April and then... Um, it, 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 it dropped heavily because of that unbundling of discovery and momentum stakes. But I'm wondering if you really believe in the story, would you not rather get in now than maybe later when they do have the final announcement of the listing in November? So I don't think it will hurt getting involved in RMI at any level, really. Okay. Uh, well, obviously, you get super, super duper expensive, but a 14 times forward PE isn't the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but given the environment that we're in currently, we have lots of um, natural disasters uh, all around. Um, it, there, there is a supportive environment for for insurers because I do think we're going to start seeing premiums pick up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a big a big weather event, for example, could be a great entry point into um, a stock like that, be it in South Africa or in in Australia. So you'll have opportunities to get into it cheaper, I believe, perhaps okay. not at a lower price, but cheaper relative to its prospects or relative to its earnings. Uh, all right, got you. Um, talking about that confusion between RMI and RMB, there's another question on RMB Holdings now. Um, what, uh, the, what are the prospects for uh, RMB Holdings um, after the recent dividend payment and big fall in share price? Roy? Yeah, as, as far as I can recall, I think there's nothing left in RMBH. Um, Chantal, no, correct me no. if I'm wrong. Um, so, so, and and they'll just slowly wind it down, and eventually they'll delist it. So, ah. yeah, as as far as I can recall, yeah, there's really not there's not much in terms of assets left yeah. there. All right. Yeah, there are um, there are one or two small property assets that they're looking to to sell, and a little bit of cash, um, but they are looking at winding up that structure. Uh, there's still a little bit in it. It's still trading at a discount, but mm. there's an opportunity cost, right? If you're mm. going to buy something for a 10% uplift or 15% uplift, you could be investing in something else that could give you a potentially greater return. And you don't have a timeline on how long this, this, this up, this winding up of the structure is going to take. It could be two, three years and then you're mm. in there for 15%. So, yeah. um, I, th I think the best is behind it. Uh, there was a question that was asked by a viewer on Tuesday on Sun International and City Lodge saying that they outperformed today. Can this be the turning point for them? And then I actually looked at that share price in the days after that and it's been under pressure. So I'm just wondering, Roy, <laughs> would, would I be right in assuming that on Tuesday it was just a, a thing of a, a high tide lifting all boats? Um, well, remember Tuesday everything went yeah. up. 
and anything that had any level of optimism built in, built up, um, reacted quite well. Yeah. But with both of those, I think when you look at the base, um, there's only one way to go, but up. Um, okay. City Lodge, remember the base is still lockdowns and everything, and now we're going into a nice, into a period where tourism should pick up. Although City Lodge is more a business hotel, you'd think that they'd at least catch some of that. When you look at their numbers, they're getting to the point where they're almost free cash flow positive, they've cleaned up their portfolio. So this is one of the ones that people will probably pick up on. Yeah. Um, Sun International, their updates recently have been positive. Um, whether it is from the from, from the occupancy perspective at Sun City and similar hotels, or from the gambling perspective as well. So mm -hmm. these just look like they have a bit of a margin of safety They're on a recovery basis. So when the market, when market volatility declines and optimism comes in, these are the ones that I think investors start looking at and saying it's cheap, it, the, the, the margin of safety is high, and the chances of going wrong over the short to medium term is low. Mm. Someone actually said that the recovery in the hospitality stocks is kind of similar to the recovery in the hospital stocks. And I actually want to take a look at Life Healthcare. They came out with a trading update yesterday. Um, and I was actually speaking to a broker yesterday, and he was quite bullish on Life Healthcare compared to the other healthcare, the other hospital stocks, because of that molecular imaging unit that seems to, mm -hmm. um, there's quite a, a big growth potential there. What's your sentiment on life healthcare, um, uh, Chantal, compared to the other hospital stocks? Yeah, so I mean, it's our preferred stock in that okay. in that sector at the moment as well. And um, I, I think that molecular imaging thing is is super interesting and. There's a, there's a very specific reason why the market is quite upbeat about it, but still very cautious about that side of the business. So they have uh, proprietary technology to scan for um, Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And previously, there wasn't really any scans done for Alzheimer's disease because there wasn't really a treatment for it. But there are um, treatment prospects um, in kind of the, the end stage approval process by the, the FDA in the U.S., and that could really be a game changer. So in order for people to take the medication, they will need the diagnosis. And Life Healthcare owns the proprietary technology to provide that diagnosis. Oh, so yeah. globally, it is a, a massive opportunity for them. And it's not really being reflected in their share price at the moment yeah. because there's still that massive risk of FDA approval. But outside of that, even if you put, if you value that opportunity at zero, um, the acute hospital group in South Africa is performing very well. We're seeing surgical cases increase quite, quite nicely. They, they're moving back up to more normal levels. Those are high margin cases for the hospital group. And the diagnostics business in the UK is actually holding up very well even after the COVID contracts have come to an end. We've seen margins come under a little bit of pressure because of that, yeah. but the top line, I think, is surprised to the upside. So um, a really great stock um, I'm, I'm really excited about. All right. Um, Roy, we can take out MediClinic. I want to ask you <laughs> just quickly before we go to your stock picks, Life Healthcare or uh, Netcare? So, so Life Healthcare is the cheapest stock right now. Net, Netcare is probably your cleaner stock. It will give you a dividend yield. But both of them paid patient days very low, very slow growth, which is typical of SA, um, and that's what we've seen. But yes, exactly like Chantal, I would say Life Healthcare is the cheaper option. There are probably some bumps along the way, um, and you have that blue sky option, which I really place no credence on, because remember, mm -hmm. it's blue sky, but we don't know how much they'll need to spend. Uh. We don't know whether the pipeline will cost more than anything, more than anything they've spent on before. So. 
Yeah, I would say the, the, the valuation discount probably points me in that direction, but I think there's a cautionary tale underneath this one. All right. Well, let's get to something that you're not cautious on, and that's your stock picks. Chantal, what will it be today? <laughs> you think I was so excited about Life Half Care. You think it's Life Half Care. Um, <laughs> but it's actually Mondi. Right. So I think Mondi, Mondi has been beaten down and broken, but this is a a super high quality stock with very strong cash flows, consistent returns to shareholders in a in a sector that has structural growth prospects in, in packaging specifically, the way that the world is moving into to e-commerce and the rest. Um, they own the entire supply chain, which means that they have um, superior margins and their margins can be protected quite well, even when you have rising costs and, and pressure on, on prices. Mm. They recently sold their Russian business, the market barely reacted, and investors are probably going to get a, a special dividend from that sale. Okay. So they're no longer exposed to Russia, which is the reason they were under pressure in the first place. And we've got cash returns coming. Um, yeah, I've, yeah. Been, I've been on about Mondi for, like, even before I went on maternity leave. Um, I, I remember. Probably too early. I remember. <laughs> yeah. And I remember telling you, I'm probably too early on this. I was too early on it, but um, I'm, yeah. think, I'm thinking I'm going to reiterate that idea today. <laughs> All right. Uh, good to know that you are consistent. <laughs> Roy, what will you pick <laughs> for today? <laughs> my, my pick for today, very similar to Chantal's, is uh, Together. So Together sold off, like, 15, 20% this week. Yeah. And I guess it's a combination of lower, lower coal prices as well as the transnet issue there. But I still think even at these level, at these prices, and even if prices fell another 15, 20%, this one's still trading at a very high free cash flow yield. Um, they're, they're still well above cost and management's committed to return free cash flow to shareholders. So from a yield perspective, even after that bump 100 rands at that we saw previously paid was it no it was sixty yeah um, you, you'll still see another two or three significant payments um, out of together the energy crisis hasn't been resolved you saw the oil gas even cutting output um, we're going into the European winter um, and yes so I so I think this one still has strong potential. Yeah. From a dividend perspective and from a valuation perspective, it's cheaper than most of its peers. Yeah. Strong margin of safety behind behind this one. Quite an interesting one to pick because there have been a lot of concerns this week on um, mm -hmm. their bottom line because of this uh, transnet issue. But uh, I mean, yeah, analysts have said that even with the risks of uh, output being cut, there are still a lot more supportive factors here. But thank you very much for your time, Chantal and Roy. Uh, thanks to my guests, Roy Motooni from AMSA Asset Management and Chantal Marks from FNB Wealth and Investments. That brings business lunch to a close for the week. Join the team again on Monday at 12 p.m. It's a wrap from me for now. I bring you the close at 6 p.m. Until then, stay tuned for lots more coming up right here on Business Day TV.